Hi, friends. Welcome back to Nate Talks to his friends about Jesus, the garage band of Come Follow Me podcast. All right, today we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesus First Ward. Now, Paul was in the city of Ephesus for two years till he does Paul things and makes enough people mad that they start a riot, and Paul has to pack his little knapsack and get to going. Now, by this point, years have passed. And um, Paul is actually writing to the Ephesians while he is under house arrest in Rome awaiting trial. Now, in comparison to his other letters, this is a little bit different tone. For example, when he writes the, the Corinthians, he's writing them because they're such a hot mess. But the saints in Ephesus actually seem to be doing pretty good. So instead of telling them to straighten up, he goes back to his favorite message. And maybe this is a message if everything's going okay for you. He he goes back to this idea of celebrating what God does for us as we link ourselves to him through Christ. Here's what he says. And we'll, we'll go through a bit of this, uh, um, some of the, the highlights here. He says, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God of our Father, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. To the praise and the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us ward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality, power, might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which in his body the fullness of him that filleth in all in all. And you he hath made alive who were dead in trespass and sin. God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us that in the ages to come he might shew the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made us both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body the, uh, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And came and preached peace to you, which were afar off. For though he, through him 
we have both access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That we should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ in the gospel. So he, he's just super excited. I know that was a rather long section, but he's super excited by the fact that we have been saved by Jesus and we should just celebrate that. And what does this all mean for, for this? What does this all mean for us? Well, first Paul says, since you have been rescued for Jesus, look out for one another. He's like, we're all in this together. Listen how often he uses the word one to emphasize how we're all in this together in chapter four. He says, keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God of and father of all who is above all and through all and is in all. Now, now this idea of unity is not the same as uniformity. God has no interest in a kingdom of Stepford wives. <laughs> like, like, it's so boring. I just want to kick something just for variety. No. This is a theme that Paul comes back to over and over. It's his go-to analogy, actually. It's the body. He says, we are one body, but we, we're a lot of different parts. And that's what it's like to be uh, in the church. He says he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, like all these different roles and different people for the perfecting of the saints and the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ till we come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to the perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking of the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which are at the head, even Christ, from the uh, from whom the whole body fitly joined. So he's not so concerned with offices here as much as he is concerned with the whole body working together to help one another out. For we are members one of another. We're all in this together, he says. Like we all are different and that's good in God's sight. So he's saying, so let go of anger or bitterness or any sort of talk that is subtractive and replace it with that which is good to the use of edifying. Like minister to one another, be kind to one another, be tender-hearted, forgiving, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. If you want to sum up what Paul is teaching in all of these chapters, he's saying, work together, be followers of God and walk in love as Christ has also loved us. That's it. He's like, we're all different. We're all in this together. We all have struggles. If you want a one solution, walk in love. I really do believe this. Do you, do you want to know the, the whole secret sauce of how to live life and prosper? Walk in love. So often I feel like we're looking for our external circumstances to bring us joy and peace. And it's actually most of the time the other way around. 
if we let the, the joy and peace of God into our hearts, it just radiates out and changes everything. I know it almost seems too simple, but, but try it out. Ask yourself, how can I walk in love? Agape, remember, right? Which just means, how can I have an honest interest and curiosity? How can I be out to build for the next 30 minutes of my life? Not even worried about what's going to happen. That's it. Just like, how can I be honestly interested and helpful for the next 30 minutes? Heck, for the next five minutes. Do this and you'll, you'll watch magic unfold. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a mystery and a miracle. And if you stop trying to control everything and let God control it, you can just walk her in love for the next 30 minutes, all the minutes, and it will take care of itself. I promise, try it. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to control it. You just have to say, I trust God to, to have the outcome here. And I'm just going to try and walk in love right now. Now, walking in love does not mean walking in permissiveness, okay? Walking in love means that taking an honest interest in those around us and seeking to build. That is not going to look the same for all people, but you're going to do your sincere best to do that and watch what happens. Uh, he even says like, you may have been in darkness. You, you may feel like you're in darkness right now. But if you try that out, you're going to find that you are you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Just trust that God's got you and walk as children of light. Walk in love. Wake up. He says, you're sleepwalking through your life. Wake up, he says in verse 14. Arise from this metaphorical death, this slumber you've been in. And if you just try it, he says, Christ shall give thee light. And even more, he gives one of my favorite lines right here. He says that Christ will redeem the time. It may, this may be the best line of the entire book. Listen, as you walk in love, as you walk as children of light, that's it. Just living in genuine interest, awake, aware, engaged. As you do this, you will redeem time. Remember, redeem means to compensate for the faults or the bad aspects of something or, or to regain possession of something. So he's saying, as you walk in love, the bad aspects of your day will be compensated for and you will gain possession of your life. That's a huge promise. I know so many of you feel like so many things are outside of your control and it causes you anxiety and fear. Redeem time. Do you want to redeem time? Do you want to regain possession of your life? Let go of control. Trust God and just go out there for the next five minutes and walk in love. Walk as a child of light. You don't have to do it even perfectly. You know like how awkward and stumbling your the the children you know are at expressing love, but nobody's not nobody's like you suck at expressing love. It can be awkward, it can be clunky, it can be imperfect. 
It's not even the point is perfection. The point is to walk in love. You go out there and do the best you can to be genuinely interested in build. God says he will redeem time for you. You will gain possession of your life. So if you want more control, if you want more joy, if you want more light, more happiness, the answer for all of us is obviously yes. And even if you say, well, yeah, like I want a million dollars would be nice too. Or if you could fix this relationship in my life or this health issue. Well, I'm telling you, like that million dollars or this fixing of this health issue is really not what you're after in your heart of hearts. Listen to me. What you really want is you want to feel something. Like think of this. If I had a million dollars, what would you feel? Most of you would say like I'd feel safe and secure. And you said, well, if I'm healthier, then I'll feel happier. Well, what Paul is saying, he's saying, walk in love. Do everything you can to live with peace, joy, and love internally right now and radiate it out like light and it will redeem time. I, I know this is getting kind of meta, but this is the gospel. Try it out here. Walk in light for the next five minutes. That's it. Try it. And notice how you'll gain possession of your soul, your time, your life. It's really cool. You just walk in love and you feel those things you wanted to feel with external outcomes. Things start to to take care of themselves. If you want to know really how to do this, how to walk in love, Paul breaks it down to the nitty gritty next. He says, start with your families. He says, wives, stop worrying so much about being right in your relationships with your husbands and start worrying about building. Husbands, he says, I want you to do everything to nourish and cherish your wife. Don't worry about doing it perfect. Don't worry about being right. Your mission simply is to nourish. And if you need a definition, nourish means to enhance and to provide everything necessary to facilitate growth in a good condition. There's a good methodology right there for walking in light, walking in love. What do you do, kids? Paul says, he says, if you want to walk in light, start listening to your parents. That's it. Try that one simple task. You may find it harder than it should be, but start there. Then look for ways to build up your parents. Parents, for your part with your kids, don't frustrate your children with no-win scenarios, Paul says. Start in your family. Walk in love for just the next five minutes. See what happens. When we do this, we're walking in Christ. This is, this is literally how we take his name upon us. And we really will have his spirit to always be with us, to fix everything else, to redeem time, to help you take possession of your life. You exercise faith and trust the outcome to God and you just walk in faith, walk in light here for the next five minutes. Paul says it works. Paul then closes his letter with one more repetition of the same theme, uh, to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now to help us visualize living in Christ's power, He uses the imagery of putting on the armor of God. Now, previously, you have read this like a checklist. Like if I was just a little bit better at putting on the helmet of salvation, I wouldn't have such tempting thoughts. That's how you've read it. Like something you have to grind out and do. This is not a checklist. You missed Paul's context when you read it as a checklist. 
Here, I'll read it to you one more time, and then I'll tell you what Paul is really doing here. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness uh, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." Okay, now I just read that, and you may be like, Nate, that kind of sounds like a checklist. Put on this, put on that, la, yada, yada. I know, I know, I know, but don't get lost. Remember the first line that will cue you in. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. To those who have studied about the Messiah and the, the, the audience he is talking to, it really has gone deep here they will immediately recognize that Paul is drawing this imagery from Isaiah 11.5, Isaiah 49.2, and Isaiah 59.17. Isaiah uses this language to prophesy about the coming of the true king who will fight our battles, who will rescue us from captivity, and who will bring about God's true kingdom. There's layers here. What Paul is really saying is he's inviting us to come hang out with Jesus and trust that he, this is what it says in Isaiah, will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. He is a sharpened sword and that he put on the righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. And in doing so, he has already won. Our job is not to check the boxes. Our job is not to just grit it out and be a little bit more righteous. He already checked them. Our job is to wake up and do something more than dream of your mansions above. Sorry about that. I just had to sing it. Our job is to wake up and do something more than just dream of your mansions above. Rather do something Literally anything good. Help someone in need, cheer up the sad, make someone feel glad, lighten someone's burden, be willing to share, help the sick or the weary on their way. Listen, there are chances to do good all around just now. Your current life situation is literally strewn with opportunities right in your way. So go and do something today. Yeah, that, that's, that's what Paul is saying. When, when you do so, he will take care of the, the fiery darts of the adversary. You will notice that life becomes easier when you're not trying to force it to be something. Just wake up and walk in love and trust the outcome to Jesus. I know it's scary, but that is the work of faith. 
if you'll just get out there and, <laughs> and try, God will redeem time. He will help you out. He will create the, the circumstances where you can do good. Elder Gary Stevenson recently taught the, this concept in his talk, Simply Beautiful, Beautifully Simple. He used the example of a man named Jens. He says, Jens, in his own words, says, We live in an idyllic, small, half-timbered house with a thatched roof in the center of a cozy little village close to the village pond. On one night, uh, uh, with the most beautiful Danish summer weather imaginable, doors and windows were open and everything breathed peace and quiet. Due to our gloriously bright and long summer nights, I had not been in a hurry to replace a burned-out bulb in our utility room. But suddenly I got a strong feeling that I had to replace it immediately. At the same time, I heard my wife Marianne call for me and the children to wash her hands because dinner was ready. I'd been married long enough to know that this was not the time to start doing anything else than washing my hands. But I heard myself calling out to Marianne that I would just pop over to the store to buy a new light bulb. I felt this strong urge to leave immediately. The the grocery store was only on the other side of the pond. We usually walked, but today I grabbed my bike. And while riding past the pond, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed a small boy about two years old walking alone near the edge of the pond, very close to the water. Suddenly he fell in. One minute he was there, the next he was gone. No one had seen this happen but me. I threw my bike on the ground, ran, and jumped into the waist-high pond. The surface of the water had immediately closed with duckweed, making it impossible to see through the water. Then I sensed movement to one side. I put my arm in the water, got a hold of a t-shirt, and pulled the little boy up. He started gasping, coughing, and crying. Soon afterwards, the boy was reunited with his parents. Just be in your sphere, and God will provide the path. In another story, Elder Stevenson says, One day a stake president in the Kukota stake in Colombia, accompanied by the stake young women president, visited two young women and their older teenage brother who were going through some terrible struggles. Recently, their father had passed away and their mother had passed away the year before. The three siblings were now left all alone in their small, humble shelter. The walls were made of crude wood lined with plastic bags and the corrugated tin roof covered only the area where they slept. Following their visit, these leaders knew they needed to help. Through the ward council, a plan to help them began to emerge. Ward and stake leaders, Relief Society, Elders Quorum, young men, young women, and many families all set themselves to the task of blessing this family. The ward organizations con- uh, contacted several ward members who work in construction. Some helped with design, others donated time and labor, others made meals, and still others donated needed materials. When the little house was finished, it was a joyful day for those who helped and for the three young ward members. These orphaned children felt warm and reassuring bonds of their ward family to know that they were not alone and that God is always there for them. Those who reached out felt the love of the Savior for this family and acted as His hands in serving them. So let's just review Paul starts and says, hey, Ephesians, you're doing great. And you're doing great because Jesus is so good. And he clearly lays out how wonderful Jesus is, how redemptive his work is. And then his invitation to us is simply to walk in light, to walk in love. 
And he says, as we do this and we just trust, things will work out and time will be redeemed. He teaches that that Jesus has already put on the whole armor of God. He's already fought the battle. He's already conquered Satan. He's already quenched the fiery darts. Our job is not to, to fix the world. Our job is just to get out where we're at and do some good. You don't have to to do anything crazy. In the course of your family, in the course of your work, in the course of your daily endeavors, you are going to come across today chances to do good. Do good. That's it. And when you fall short, repent and begin again. That's it. Jesus has already fixed it. You can trust that. You just give it to him and you try again and try again. That's the simple message today here. I love it. Just don't even try and do it for too long. Don't even try and be a disciple of Jesus Christ for the rest of your life right now. Just try and be a disciple for five minutes here. That's it. Walk in love for the next five minutes. Do something good for the next five minutes. And when you fall short, we'll try again just for five minutes. I think you're just going to see good things pop up. (laughs) Like I really do believe this. Our God is in charge here and he's redeemed you. He loves you. And you're going to watch magic happen as you trust him. And I leave this with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.